From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Uh, We're doing great today and I'm excited about the scripture passage that we're going to touch on. You've probably seen it already on the title of uh, the episode that came through. Uh, But before we even get to Philippians 4, let's kind of introduce a few of the people that are around here. And first of all, to my left, Emily Armstrong. You almost forgot my name. Hello, everyone. (laughs) He looked at me with fear in his eyes. (laughs) That was for other reasons. (laughs) Across from me, Natalie Franco. Hi, guys. And with fear in my eyes. No, to my right, Dario Richards. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of like that every time Dario, like greets everybody. It's just different. Whatever it is, it he is feels. Different. We had an Ola. We had yeah, different things. Really creative. Right, yes. right. I like it. Exactly. And um, I don't know if I said, but I am Scott Armstrong. <laughs> we are a uh, podcast that deals with missions and culture and healthy church. And uh, there are certain passages. I mean, the whole Bible deals with all of that, but um, there are certain passages that are definitely ones that for us, as we read them, of course, they deal with a lot of uh, uh, important things for any Christian, but especially for, for those of us who are serving in ministry and in cross-cultural ministry. And so let's dive in. I've asked Dario, would you read, are you going to be reading from the New International Version? Yeah. Okay, let's read Philippians 4, 2 through 9. And I'll tell uh, anyone listening and remind ourselves here as well, the last time we did this was several episodes ago, and we touched on the verses that were right before. So Philippians 3, and then through the first verse of Philippians 4. So we're going to continue in that passage. And Dario, take it away. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Saintishe to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Wow. There is uh, so much in this, in this passage. Yeah. Uh, we have some preachers in the room and, uh, <laughs> and teachers, Natalie as well, that... You know, probably I I have to admit, I've emphasized verses four through nine a lot, uh, different sermons on any, any and all of that. I have not emphasized verses two or three very often. And so I guess my first question would be, uh, how do we address conflict? Paul is literally addressing a conflict in the church. Is, are, are there conflicts in the church? Oh, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> could there ever be? But he's how he's addressing it, even if it's kind of from afar, writing a letter. But how do we address conflict? Have we found ourselves in situations where we, as leaders, like know our role is to exhort or to kind of be the intermediary between two people? What do you guys think before we kind of dive into the more known part of this passage? I think it's interesting to look at what 
Paul says, and he's literally saying, I ask you to get involved in somebody else's conflict. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think in some ways he's trying to um, maybe bring even the teachings of Christ where Jesus is telling us how to resolve conflict of go to the brother first and then take it before the church. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe these two people just literally couldn't get things resolved. And so Paul's trying to bring the church into the conflict. And I think there is a lot of space for that. However, I personally feel afraid to be that mediator of conflict. <laughs> like afraid is the right word, right? Like it, I don't know if it's the day and age that we live in or if it's just my personality or I don't know what it is, but like when somebody else is having a conflict, like I'm just going to say, for example, Natalie's in conflict with Dario and we're all in this room. Like, I feel like, well, that's something you two should be able to, to figure out. I don't know that I really want to get into the middle of it, you know? So like, I don't have a deeply spiritual answer on it. I just know that like reading it to me makes me feel if I was the one being asked to get involved in somebody else's conflict, I would feel like I, that makes me feel really nervous. It's a little cringy to think about literally the way that they would receive this letter and then convene the whole church and then read this. And Euodia and Syntyche, I don't know how, how you pronounce it, uh, uh, maybe differently in different countries, but Euodia and Syntyche are probably sitting right there. Mm-hmm. You know, have you ever had a moment in a, in a church service where you're just like, Awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Scott is a pastor's kid, so I'm sure there were times when he heard his name and he's like, what? (laughs) But uh, like to go to what you're talking about, Emily, I think, I mean, Jesus himself said, blessed are the peacemakers. Mm -hmm. And so Paul is doing his best. And these are people that he loves. He's not just chewing them out or scolding them. He really wants to see unity. And, And so he asks, uh, you know, he says loyal yoke fellow in my version. I, I don't know what it is in other versions, but it appears he's writing this to all of the church in Philippi, but he apparently knows that one person is going to be reading this or going to be maybe the leader, the pastor, we could say. And he says, so I plead with you, even as that person probably is the one reading it, get involved. Don't be the one that's taking a step back and just letting it resolve. Yeah, I like how I like how you know, and, and you see the same trend throughout the rest of the passage. How Paul is intentional about keeping the big picture. Mm-hmm. You know, they they worked with me in contending for the sharing of the gospel. Their names are written in the Lamb Book of Life. It's like whatever this conflict is, like keep the big picture before you. You know, like at the end of the day, your names are written. You know, let's behave, let's operate, let's intervene just in light of these realities. And I think that's what stood out to me. I like how Paul interjected keeping the big picture, you know, just before them and before us in the midst of conflict. Because when mm. when conflict takes place, you could get so caught up on your issue and your feeling and what is happening to you and what you're dealing with. And, you know, we could become so, so myopic, so small sighted that we miss the the big picture, especially when it relates to who we are dealing with and who we are in conflict with. You know, this person, I labored with this person. I contended with this person. Both of our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you know? Hmm. Like, let that perspective Hmm. impact, you know, how we wrestle with whatever we are dealing with. So I love that about those verses. He does then, speaking of awkward a little bit, he, he does transition and he goes from this conflict that, and, and he says, it is very important that we be one. We are fellow workers. But then he just 
it seems abrupt. He just says, rejoice in the Lord. Paul kind of does that though. Sometimes yeah. he's just like, shoot, I didn't put this in there earlier. Yeah, yeah, I wanted yeah. to get this message in. Well, and it, may, it does make me wonder if he himself recognizes that this is going to be taken as kind of a tense moment in the church. And so he wants to remind people we're doing this because this is, there is joy there because this is, this is a privilege. This is, this is a pleasure to serve the Lord. You know, what, what do you guys think? This has a lot to me. It has, it says a lot about ministry, the Christian life in general, but certainly being a missionary. Uh, yeah. I love to see how he is kind of saying choose joy it's like it's available. It's right there. It's like, I don't know, I am a person who likes to see images in my mind. It's like there is a button with a name called Joy. You can click on it and then you have that available. Like it's a, it, because it is a fruit of the Spirit. As soon as you have the Holy Spirit within you, then you have that option for you. So he's kind of saying, choose joy. Uh, like, I, I think he's saying this for me. And also because sometimes we often, like leaders and uh, when we work in ministry and we are not like getting along or we are dealing with situations, we often allow ourselves to be discouraged instead of fighting for the joy that we have available in for us in God. Yeah. Um, so I think we need to fight to choose joy uh, because joy is really important for any Christian, not, not only for a leader, not only for someone who is pastoring. We are not made to carry burdens that rob our joy and keeps us from living the abundant life that Jesus died for. We need to keep choosing joys. I think as the the passage was saying, in God, there was the fullness of joy, and that joy is our, our strength. So we need to keep seeking that one and on and on and on. When, when have we fallen short on that? Uh, or when have we found joy in, in the midst of a difficult circumstance in ministry or in, in our Christian life? After all, Paul is writing this and saying, rejoice from prison. He's 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 <laughs> writing this, and it's not the greatest circumstances. So how did how did he find joy in his circumstances, and how can we? It's definitely something that we need to continue, like journeying toward. And even as you were speaking, Natalie, I was I was trying to think, and I just looked up real quickly, like what's the difference between joy and rejoice? Like he chooses to use the word rejoice. And is it interchangeable with joy? And um, just the dictionary definition is they put joy as the noun and rejoice as the verb. And so rejoice is like the action form of having joy. And so as you were finishing up your converse, your, your, your conversation with yourself, as you were finishing up your side of what you were saying, I was thinking, well, if he's telling us to like put joy into action, then, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's a big part of mm -hmm. rejoicing is there is this mentality that I am going to practice joy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to find joy. Um, but all of those have a different verb attached to them. Mm -hmm. Right. And then when you say it's rejoice, it's like, no, this is the action. Like mm -hmm. it, it is what I'm telling you to do is move forward in joy <laughs> of be that person that you 
say that you can be and you are and that you're filled with the spirit in order to be that person. So I think a lot of rejoicing has to do with action, not just with like, I know the Bible says, and not just with like trying to strengthen yourself there. And and I'm not against strengthening yourself with like God's word and God's promise. I'm not saying it's against that, but I think rejoice is more of a, let's put this into action. And so I try to challenge myself of what are the things that I have had to put joy into action? And I can't go into deep details of it, but there was a time about three years ago that I was in a lot of crisis with some things that were going on in our ministry, like to the point of, I remember telling Scott consecutive months in a row, I don't know if I can continue to do this. I just, it's a crisis. I don't know if I can continue to move forward. Like, is the Lord calling us away from this and everything that we're doing? And, and I, I had to choose, even in a time that I was in so much crisis in my mind and in my heart, every day I had to choose to get up and with joy do the job that was putting me into emotional crisis, right? Mm -hmm. And I look back on that now and it was such a deep time of crisis for me, but I look back and it's like, man, that was three years ago. Mm -hmm. And like, look how the Lord has brought me through that. Like, I don't know when I moved all the way through that time and was on the side of like, okay, like I'm restored and I'm back, but I know it's because I chose every day to have this mindset of, Lord, until you clear these things up, until my heart aligns with where you're going in this situation and what you're doing with this, like I need you to come in and be in control of this. And I think that's the only way to rejoice when something is terrible, to recognize that the Lord is sovereign, the Lord is good. He is the one that's guiding and directing all of these things. And so waking up and rejoicing in the fact that God's plan has never failed and it won't fail today. I think for me, that's what I'm able to do to put into practice Paul's command of rejoice, even when it's from a prison cell. Mm. Yeah, I, I think, you know, just this, the, the verse is a consistent relationship just between, you know, we see our theology and our thoughts and thinking. And Paul pins every statement almost to another theological principle in the yeah. sense of, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the Lord is near is a core. Like, if Paul really believes the Lord is near, then he could rejoice in prison. You know, I can rejoice in this jail cell because the Lord is near, right? And that, for him, his his perspective is, this is my deliverance. You know, this is my freedom. I even more, not only will they be free from prison, but there's so much more that will be found for me in his return they could afford to rejoice so for me it's a consistent reminder of how you know just the the importance of the quality of our mindset and our thoughts but how those are pinned to what we believe about god if we believe that he would truly do the things that he said he would do because if you believe these things as truth then our thoughts could you know transcend our situations and how we feel but it is highly dependent on do we really believe what mm-hmm. God has said about himself and about himself in relation to us. And, you know, so, so I see the importance of keeping the right perspective all the time. Those four words sometimes are kind of seen as a, you know, well, he just threw that in there. The Lord is near. And, and sometimes I've interpreted it as the Lord is about to come back. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that is part of what he's saying, but it's interesting. Now, as you both are talking, I'm thinking, 
For someone who is in a jail cell or for someone who, Emily, I know that we've walked through this together, that, you know, you're discouraged. Uh, you don't know if you can go on mm -hmm. to just say, well, just choose joy. I mean, a lot of times there, <laughs> I've heard messages like that and I, I walk away thinking, how, how, I mean, it, I, I don't understand. And I think there's a part of this, there's an element, and I'm glad that you raised this, that's the Lord is near. He's near close. to you. He's mm -hmm. close to yeah. you where you are. And right after this, after he's talking about joy, and maybe some people are like, Paul, he's rejoicing <laughs> and I'm complaining about my stuff, you know? And then he immediately goes into, do not be anxious yeah. about anything. Right. And so the anxiety and the focus on circumstances certainly can rob us of our joy. Mm -hmm. But he says, the Lord is close to you. He is near. He is, he is with you in this time. I think that's what we anchor onto. That's what we hold on to mm -hmm. that helps us to rejoice. Yeah. I find it super interesting too, that Paul, literally uses the word uh, in verse five, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Yeah. And like when I was reading that, like gentleness is a fruit of the spirit as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's like, Paul, Paul is talking about all of these things that are very spiritual in nature. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's the spiritual father of, of this congregation at this point in time. But I thought, why would he use the word gentleness? And then right afterwards, he's like, the Lord is near. And for me, it clicked into um, the verse that is in Matthew eleven twenty eight, which a lot of us know, 28 and 29. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And this yeah. is one of the only passages that I know that Jesus describes himself, right? He says, for I am gentle mm -hmm. and humble of heart. Yeah. Like these are two descriptors of Jesus. When Jesus describes himself, he calls himself gentle. Yeah. And I think yeah. for Paul, I think for him to relate gentleness with the Lord being near is mm. like this characterizes Jesus. When yeah. we are in the midst of crisis, when we're in the midst of conflict, when we're in the midst of despair, be gentle because yeah. it's so easy to be like, you hurt my feelings and to just break down. And like, yeah. it's, it's such an easy time to become self-centered. Mm -hmm. And I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger to anybody except myself. It's super easy to be like, but be careful with me. Like it's all about me. And yeah. I, I just need more space and, and I'm trying it. And you're, you're asking too much. And, and he's literally saying, let your gentleness be evident. Like let your testimony be Jesus because of your gentleness. And that's something that I know that the Lord has been talking to me about just gentleness. I think we lack that in the world. I think gentleness and kindness at this point in our world, if the church could embrace and embody more gentleness and kindness, we would be able to supersede the conflicts that are happening, the divisions that are happening in the church, the ways that we handle our own despairing situations. I think if we were practicing gentleness just a little bit more. Well, I know that several of us maybe uh, have dealt with anxiety, actually, and um, I know that in previous episodes we've talked about maybe some of our family members or, you know, even just youth in general that are that are dealing with that. Would there be anyone that would kind of want to share just, hey, God has brought me through this time? Yeah, of course. I've shared before about my process with anxiety, and ooh, God has been helping me a lot with this. I can say the the first thing I, I have to say is he has been helping me through his people, 
first. Um, and I, I'm so happy to say that the NYI of the region has this like linked with pro professionals. Like if we are dealing with things like anxiety, depressions, they connect youth people like me to someone who is Nazarene and is a, a psychologist, for example, and can walk with me through my process mm. and it's amazing we have that so this is something that I have seen God uh, helping me a lot through his people but also through his word like he's always saying to, to his word and right now in, in this passage through Paul he's saying do not be anxious about anything in everything in prayer in, in, in petition give thanks and this is one of the advices I've I've got like okay I'm anxious I'm worried because of something in the future I will not worry any, at all I'm going to start praying more and more and more about this and I know God that you are in control this is something that has been happening to me and has been helping me to completely leave what he is saying in his word and another thing that is is changing com my situation completely is, as Daria was saying, to change my mind about who is God, the perspective of, of who is my father. And I, I, I got like a little story. It's like uh, a child who broke his knee and he continues saying, oh, I broke my knee, I will not be able to to play soccer anymore. Never in my life I will not be able to play soccer. And his father, the father of this kid is a doctor and especially of that. And he looks at the kid and he's saying, don't worry about that. You will be healed later on. But the child is like, he's looking at his knee broken and he's like, no, I will not be able to play anymore. I know, I know, because look at my knee. Um, but the father knows And as the father saw his children, he didn't trust him. He decided to take him to the hospital to, so the children can be able to see what he is doing, like how he is a specialist. Mm -hmm. And the children was able to go into a surgery room and to see his father to, to do a surgery. Mm -hmm. And he was able to see with the confidence um, His father was doing everything. He was able to see that the nurses were, were asking him for advices. How can I do this? He was able to see what that his father knew what he was talking about. And after the surgery finished, the children asked again to his father, Father, am I going to be healed later on? And the father repeat, yes, you will be healed. This time he trust yeah. because he was able to see He changed his per perspective of, of his father. Now he understood he knows what he's talking about. Mm. Now he understood his father is a good, good doctor. And our father is a great doctor. Mm -hmm. He heals anxiety. And I understand that he heals anxiety. Mm. So he's my doctor. He's with yeah. me all the time. He repeats in his word. He's going to be with me. He gives me advices in his word. So I just have to change my mind of who is my father. He heals everything. Yeah, I follow an author, and his name is Carlos Whitaker, and he wrote a book called Kill the Spider. And the spider in his life was anxiety. And one of the phrases that he uses in it that I find super helpful for this conversation is he says, 
He says, I stopped praying about my problem, but I started praying the promise. And he literally, just a couple of days ago, I heard him talking about it again. And he said, I stopped saying, I am anxious. He said, because I'm not anxious. I'm a child of God. Amen. And he said, it just changed. He said, literally for him, it was a 24-hour turnaround. Mm-hmm. And praise wow. the Lord for yeah. that kind yeah. of miraculous turnaround. He said, I stopped taking all my antidepressants and all of these things. But I think that's a simple way if somebody is dealing with anxiety. Yeah. I yeah. loved that because I was like, yeah, stop saying that you are something you're not. You exactly. are a child of God. Mm-hmm. You are the child of the great physician, you know, and uh, just praying that way of like, pray, you are so good, God. You have yeah. good things for me. I am your child. Those kind of things start to replace the anxious thoughts. He seems to give us a clue as we go on to verses eight and nine. No, uh, instead of focusing on what we aren't, instead of focusing on our injury, we focus on, it even says, with prayer and petition, but with thanksgiving, it says. So we start to become thankful. Verse eight, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, that's a lot of adjectives right there. Um, But think about those things. And it causes me to think, my goodness, how many times have I been overwhelmed? And it's primarily because I am not focused on those things. I'm focused on a whole lot of other things, circumstantial that are around me. But there's a lot in life that is admirable, that's praiseworthy, that's pure and right. Our minds and attitudes shape our lives and our vision of the world, right? So, like, why is practicing this verse 8 so important for any Christian, but especially for us as missionaries? Yeah, I think if we jump back to verse 7, it gives some just good insight. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Yeah. And it just, it just gives the impression that the state of our thinking, whether we bend toward anxiety or bend toward rejoicing and reflecting on these good things, can impact our very being, you know, the state of my heart, the state of my mind, you know, my experience in life, both how I feel and how I treat with others, which I think is just connected when you see the passage in its big sense. Um, So for me, when this challenge that goes out to think on these things, it is just this consistent communication that my thought life, it impacts, it infiltrates all of my other experiences. How I treat people, how I carry myself, how I, you know, I remember, <laughs> remember this time I went to, I was invited to this church to preach and there was a, mi- a missionary. Um, they came, they were kind of doing like a home assignment. It was a different organization, but similar, very similar to home assignment. They got invited to a church and, you know, they get the opportunity. They weren't preaching. They were just sharing their testimony. And I remember as they stood up and they shared, they talked about how hard it was and how difficult it is to learn the language, you know, and mm-hmm. how their experience. And in my mind, I'm saying, I will never give you money. <laughs> in, my mind, <laughs> in my mind, I'm saying what I want to give to you is to tell you that missions is not for you. you know? <laughs> because Yeah, because the person just sounded so bitter. They sounded mm. so burdened wow. from the experience, you know. But then at the end, they will say, yeah, but we did this for the glory of God. Right. Like, oh, right. <laughs> Somebody needs to tell her, you know. Um, so, so, so when your mindset, when your mind is not fixed correctly, it begins to bleed through all the other components of your life, how you carry yourself, how you speak, how you're perceived. Um, so just this consistent reminder that Paul is giving us. And, and I'm laughing because 
if we give this advice like naturally in our you know in our society today people will say oh no you're ignoring the issues and you're mm-hmm. ignoring people's mental struggles it's not that you're ignoring them or we're ignoring them i don't think paul is ignoring the fact that a real crisis a real conflict may be existing paul is just saying listen the way to address this the way to deal with this in a healthy manner in a manner um not just you know, it's more for you, for your benefit, for your livelihood, for your quality of life. It's to make sure that you fix and you set your mind on the right things and those things that are right and pure and lovely, those things that reflect what God has promised because those things filter through your entire being, your entire state. So it just, you know, and on the flip side, if you keep focusing on the issues and the problems that are causing this anxiety, that has implications for the state of your heart and the state of your mind as well. So those, that stands out to me. You know. Yeah, I think passages like this, I am encouraged that this is the inspired word of God. Yeah, that this is not something that Paul wrote, right? Oh, like God man. wanted us to know <laughs> this is how you function in kingdom living. This is how you are created to function. This is everything that's in your earthly body right now is created to think on these things. Mm-hmm. The world is going to try to throw everything else mm-hmm. into your mind and into your heart and into your space. And I'm going to tell you, these are the things. And one of my very favorite things about living the time that we're living right now is how much we're starting to know how God's allowing us to understand how the brain works. And we really have only known for 30 or 40 years. I mean, that's not much in the whole history timeline, you know, for the past 40 (laughs) or 50 years to, to really think about me. And we know so much more about how the brain works today than we even did when I was born 40 years ago. And, um, I love the point that if you really dig down into some of the science, there's something that's called neuroplasticity, which means God has given our brains the ability to recreate paths that it has learned. Mm -hmm. And it is just this process that can happen over and over again. So like in an addictive state, you have trained your brain how to appreciate that addiction. And there's so much science that can go into it, but there's also a way to untrain your brain from that addiction and train it on a different path. And I think these are some of the things that when we see God telling us, think about these things. It's, I I think sometimes as the church, we get a little afraid of science. We get a little afraid of psychology. We get afraid of some of these things because it's like, oh, those aren't like biblical. But honestly, God has so much to say about our thought life and our conscience. And God created our systems for how we are. And the world is putting all of these names on it. And it's like, oh, self-care and make sure you breathe and make sure you ground yourself. (laughs) And like, we've got secular terminology, but man, God's the one that created the system. He's the one that wrote the book on how to manage it. Mm -hmm. And I think if we truly did even just spend five minutes every day thinking about good things, I would challenge anybody that's listening to this, spend five minutes every day, just think about good things. Think about puppies, think about flowers, (laughs) think about stars. There's so many good things. It doesn't have to be deep spiritual concepts. Just think about good stuff and you're going to set your day up for a different day just because Mm -hmm. your brain is creating a pattern of thinking about God's goodness. I think it says something on this quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, Linda was preparing a, a study on the same Philippians the book of Philippians on a whole. And from her psychology background perspective, she would introduce this thought to me about the scarcity versus abundance mindset, mm-hmm. which is a more psychological, you know, 
you know, new age principle, you know, you must have an abundance mindset uh, as opposed to the scarcity mindset. But as you dig into these passages, you realize that in the essence of it, it's really biblical. You know, in in the sense that you could either spend your time thinking about your lack, thinking about your circumstances, thinking about your problems, or you could spend your time thinking about the promises of God, thinking about what God has already done for you, you know, and deciding to live your life in this realm of optimism. You know, where God is really good. Yeah. God has been good. And despite what I'm dealing with, God continues to be good. Amen. And it's a difficult shift to me, especially in the culture that we're living in. Because, you know, you know, especially generationally, they talk, they talk about this generational shift where, and I know we will talk about this probably sometimes, like millennials and Gen Z, they are more, we are more in tune to authenticity to perfection, than perfection. So there were generations past which were all about appearing to be perfect. Everything is under control, you know, always upright, always straight. We never talk about our issues. We never invite you into our sin or our pain. The pastor don't ever go to the altar and confess his sin, you know, because it's holiness unto the Lord. Right. Then you have this generational shift where the younger generation is more about authenticity, you know, and not, I, I don't want to hear about all the good that happens. Tell me about your pains and invite me into your struggles. Mm -hmm. And part of what that switch has done, it has also created this mindset, you know, that anybody who chooses to adopt a mentality that is primarily optimistic in focus, always focusing on the good. They say, oh man, you're not being real. Say it. You know, you're not being, you're not being, (laughs) you're not being, you're not being realistic. Nobody could be that positive all of the time. And it's not true. It's not even biblical. You know, the biblical premise is if you think about Paul and these apostles going through all that they're going through, you always see this type of optimism that if you don't know church history, you will never imagine these guys were in prison. <laughs> like, right. like he was in prison, you know? And it's just a reminder to me that there's the cultural, social expectation, but then there's also the biblical expectation Ooh, so that we really be anxious for nothing. <laughs> like, yeah. Be anxious for nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to mention so that. Yeah. The last verse that uh, we're ending with today, not his last verse, but... Um, <laughs> read that in Ephesians if you want to read it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but obviously verse nine really is kind of a discipleship verse, but it's in the context of the, these attitudes, not being anxious, rejoicing always, uh, in the midst of conflict, still having a different focus. And he just says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, the implication is regarding this stuff that I just said, you know, whatever you've heard from me, whatever you've seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. It's almost like, I I don't like the uh, seven steps to have a peaceful life or, uh, you know, five steps to not be anxious or whatever, but he's almost giving us a recipe, Mm -hmm. you know, thankfulness and uh, praying, putting our petitions before God and not focusing on terrible things, but on the admirable and and the praiseworthy and all of these things. It's almost as if he's saying, I'm guaranteeing you, you focus on Christ and you focus on the beauty around you and 
you will not have an issue with anxiety. Yeah. That, follow me. It's worked for yeah. me and, and, yeah. and, and put it into practice. Yeah. Well, and it's almost like his version of the end of the um, Sermon on the Mount when Jesus gives the, the teaching of building on the rock and building on the sand. And the very end of it is, you've heard all these words, <laughs> so put it into practice. Yeah. You know, it, like yeah. Paul's like, please don't let me be writing all of this in vain. Like I'm literally laying out some of the rules of kingdom living and it is, I think it is a guarantee. If you do these things, yeah. there is a heavenly guarantee that God is going to help you through your anxious times. God is going to free some people completely from anxiety, but he's yeah. never going to leave us alone. We've gone a little longer on this episode than we normally do, uh, but I'm wondering, maybe there would be someone who's listening to this and is dealing with anxious thoughts, uh, worry. Perhaps there's someone even, uh, 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 not that you were saying, hey, we have resources in our region to help with this. And I think a lot of people would say, I didn't know that. And so, Emily, honestly, if they want to, and I'll even ask you, not just kind of the social media part, but if you want to just kind of give maybe an email where somebody could reach us and, more confidentially is what I'm, uh, I'm thinking, sure. how could they send us something and, and let us know, please pray for me, but also I'd like to be connected with someone who could help. Yeah, you can look on the social media if that's the best place for you on Facebook at the Worthless Servants Podcast, but send it to us through a direct message uh, instead of just leaving a comment. You can comment. I will tell you that I have struggled with anxiety and I talk to people a lot about it. I think it's good to kind of normalize it. And if you're one of those people, you can comment and we will comment back to you. Sure. But if you need some anonymity, then you are more than welcome to DM us um, an email that you could send something to that we would be able to connect you with somebody else is Genesis G E N E S I S at Mezonaz M E S O N as in Nazarene A Z as in zoo dot O R G. Genesis at mezonaz.org. See that? Mesoamerica Nazarene, <laughs> Mesonaz. <laughs> and then if you want to listen to more of these types of episodes, you can find us on mesoamericagenesis.org. Thank you. Thank you. I want to just kind of leave us with kind of a blessing. And this is the blessing from Paul here. He says, may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. May that be your testimony if you are listening to this. That is our desire. We are the Worthless Servants, and I'm Scott Armstrong. I'm Dario Richards. I'm Natalie Franco. And I'm Emily Armstrong. And we'll talk with you next time. For more information, visit us on Facebook or at mesoamericagenesis.org.